showdown time but before we do that got a little joke for you as always um for those of you who uh, are of italian heritage you'll definitely um appreciate this one that's going to speak to your to your lineage to your roots are either you of a, a italian heritage i know steve i know you're not right Mm-mm. i am not sarah, I'm sarah german, german you said yeah, yeah same same we might not appreciate this this isn't going to speak directly to our heritage but to our <laughs> italian listeners it might what is Mario's favorite state? What is hmm. Mario's favorite state? Um, is Mario's favorite state? No. Steve, Steve, you might be able to get this one. I'm going to give you a quick sec. Uh, I don't. No, it's not intoxication, Dan. <laughs> no, it's Louisiana, guys. Welcome, oh boys oh, and girls, oh, wow. to wow. another fucking showdown <laughs> episode of Halloween is Forever. Oh, I'm Brian. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. Hello. Hey, <laughs> welcome, Sarah, our guest. Um, before we get into this, Louisiana, guys, it was right there, it's- right in front of your face. That's um, not bad. classic <laughs> Italian, classic Italian joke. Um, here we are. Uh, first of all, uh, before we get into our topic and everything tonight, obviously you already clicked on that dang old podcast on your podcast or apps. So you probably know what it is. But before we do that, welcome to our guest, Sarah Elizabeth Jackson. Thanks for joining us here for this this dang old Giallo January showdown. Um, for, you for, uh, for me. yeah, we're super pleased to have you. We're excited to talk about some Giallo for a couple of reasons. But, um, first of all, for those of you who don't know Sarah, uh, let, let me summarize actress, right? Special effects artist, uh, cosplayer, general horror nerd, uh, dare I say, uh, uh, internet horror personality. Would that be fair to say as well? Yeah, I have, yeah. I have been known to be called that. You have been referred to that on on some occasions. Um, reanimated nerd uh, on the Instagrams, on the social medias. For those of you who don't follow her, go check out. She always posts a lot of cool stuff and cosplays and fun stuff. You know, if you like the type of nonsense we put on the internet, uh, you're certainly going to like what Sarah does. A lot of a lot of same kind of stuff. And as you can see, and uh, for those of you who are watching on the Discord, you can see just an assortment of yummies behind her. Not unlike the room that I'm sitting in as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we got a fellow horror nerd here with us to talk about a topic that has come up that the 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 fate, the magical spinny wheel of fate that throws all of our uh, showdown topics to us has thrown us Giallo, Steve, three times before at least, but it never wins. Mm-hmm. It never yeah, it wins. Never, it, it never won. And then also I was shocked because the other the, the other topic in the poll was Lance Hendrickson movies. Yeah. And Which somehow is like that didn't our, win. That's like our, our listener's speed, right? Lance yeah. Hendrickson, we are, you know, I, I definitely expect, so this, not only did Giallo finally win, it, it, it took on a monster that is Lance Hendrickson, a fan favorite, 
and it won. So listen, the stars aligned. I'm pretty sure Mercury's in retrograde. And uh, and here we are talking about Giallo in January. January. Um, Giallo in January. Um, so we're going to do a lot of really offensive Mario-ish uh, accents on, on this mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's going to be that. It probably will devolve into Glenn Danzig impressions at some point. At some point. Uh, um, but I am super excited because I don't know, for whatever reason, this, this topic really felt like a good post-holiday starting the year off uh, type of um, uh, type of topic. So I'm super excited about that. Um, Quick question before we do all the top of the show stuff. Sarah, are you a are you a giallo aficionado? I feel like it's a polarizing subgenre. What's your relationship with giallo? I wouldn't say I'm an aficionado because I feel like people get very defensive if you for this type of topic because it is such such a very detailed. I feel like I feel like people are very um particular with this subject it's a, it's a little uh, niche right it's a little niche yes and then any subgenre yes. that gets a little niche people people then do tend to argue i agree with you 100 there's a lot of like yes. oh that's not a giallo or this is a giallo people love to have oh, hot takes yeah. on what a giallo is and what is not a giallo or like that's an american giallo that's like a, a, a thing that i think <laughs> quentin tarantino uh and eli roth talked mm-hmm. about on a podcast so all of a sudden everybody yes, with, says mm-hmm. everything oh guys you know what i think actually um friday the 13th part six is actually an american giallo and they shut or five fucking, shut your fucking yeah. mouth one um, that one that's my take and two is part five part five is an american giallo was, was i inadvertently making fun of a point you said to me one time yes um, although i did so i i actually do find myself watching movies and then going like you know what this is kind of a giallo like you know i i, I you know i think i think uh, the first time somebody I heard somebody and I don't know this might have actually been like I'm making fun of myself now but um, when Eli Roth was on Quentin Tarantino's podcast and I think they were talking about Alice Sweet Alice which I love that movie and they were like oh it's a, it, it is an American Giallo and I was like oh fuck it is you know what I mean mm-hmm. like I think actually it might be um, and now all of a sudden I'm like is everything a Giallo like <laughs> it's like when I pick up a like a, is this a gluten What's yeah. a gluten? Is everything a gluten? Anything bad is a gluten, right? In this case, is this a giallo? Just holding up like a yogurt. Um, in any case, uh, guys, we're going to talk. Trust me. We're going to talk your balls off about some giallos here in a couple damn seconds. We've got a couple things to do at the top of the show. First of all, um, if you're new to the show, welcome. Where the fuck you been? Uh, we, gotta, we do a couple of things here. Every damn Monday, we get spicy sticky sweet new content on the internet in the form of an episode either a mini sode or the first monday of the month every damn month actually with the exception of new year's day this year because we had an extra monday in january um every monday we do uh, uh an episode and then the first monday of the month we do what's called a showdown episode where you got me you got steve and in this case Sarah's our guest. We always have a new guest on. We talk about a topic. If you want to give us suggestions for what those topics might be to throw on the big old spinny ass wheel, or you just have a movie you want us to cover for a mini so too, follow us over on the social medias. It's at Halloween is Forever pretty much everywhere. I think we're at uh, Hallow Forever on X. Otherwise, just find us a dang old little pixelated pumpkin guy. Shoot us a, a DM if you got a suggestion. Or if you want to support the show, 
<clears throat> another way, uh, you can go on your favorite podcatcher app and you can go in and, and write us a little bit of review. Give us a, the maximum amount of stars. Uh, we will accept no less stars than that. Go on there and then you write a little thing underneath. It goes, hey, these guys. <laughs> and then shoot us a DM. I'll send you some fucking stickers in the mail. I swear to Christ, I will. Next, uh, <laughs> the other thing I want to say at the top of the show is uh, uh, we do have a Patreon. For those of you who maybe uh, haven't been around for a couple seconds, you've been slacking, you've not been paying homage in the way that you should be. Here's how you can make up for that. Go to patreon.com forward slash Halloween is forever. Um, there's a lot of fun stuff over there. A couple different tiers. The first tier, fuck that tier. Go straight to the second tier, you guys. <laughs> Give us $5 a month. You get a lot of tasty things. First of all, you could be watching us live. You could see all three of our lovely faces talking about Giallo films and drinking beers and things like that. And follow along and you know, posting stuff in the chat and interacting with us live while we're recording. It's a lot of fun. Um, you also get a lot of fun things, Steve. You just wrote a big old review of a bunch of different kind of wrap up uh, for the year of some flickies that you liked and some you didn't like, too. Right. Mm -hmm, that's, that's, mm -hmm. that, that's something that happens periodically. Um, yeah, it, ha you, it happens every month as I just collect a whole like whatever I watch for the month. Mm -hmm. It's not it, it, it's like half horror, but you yeah. get basically 3000 words of movie review just delivered yeah. right into your lap just puked right onto the internet and then just you get to read it <laughs> yeah um, and then you read Steve, it you talked about godzilla one right as well oh yeah that, that, yeah, that was a big one, one here mine minus yeah. one jesus christ i still haven't watched it um i actually tried to get to the theater this week to see it and i just i couldn't couldn't find time to Is do it still it. theaters or did it go ahead and leave already uh, i think there's still theaters around us at least yeah. At least earlier in the week, gotcha. it might be gone now. I might have missed my chance. But um, earlier in the week, there was one night where there was like a 740 showing. And I was like, oh, I might do that. And then I drank beers and watched a hockey game and then didn't go. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, if you now the most important thing on the old uh, on the old Patreon that you're going to want to check out um, is really tragic for me personally um we do something that is it's a, it's a patreon exclusive podcast called family is forever and you might say what the fuck does that mean well here's what it means steve decided it would be a good idea to grift me into watching every single one of the fast and the furious movies guys these movies suck ass and not in a fun way they're terrible terrible movies steve has tricked me into doing it it's a whole big psyop. It's fucking up my whole life. It's ruining a lot of relationships and, and just really throwing a wrench in my life personally and professionally. I hate it a lot. Um, we have now watched Tokyo six. Drift, like kind of okay? Nope. Nope. None of them are okay. Really? But no, you are right. Was, that was the only that one that was tolerable. It is the best. It is the best, but I use the word yeah. best in the loosest possible sense. Um, yeah. It's absolutely horrible, but it's the least offensive. But it still sucks ass. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Steve, uh, Steve, we've done six, right? We're six of them we've through. We got we've got ninety or or, or eighty more to do. I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. As well, much as I hate the podcast um, and, and hate Steve for making me do it, it is very fun. It is actually very fun to listen to, and we do piss our pants laughing just talking about mm -hmm, how mm -hmm. shitty these movies are. So even if you're like, why would a horror fan want to watch you know two dipshits talk about Fast and the Furious? Um, I don't know. I honestly, I don't know, but it is fun and you will laugh. So, so a, go ahead and check it out. I, I, there's been a lot of horror references in the episodes that, that I've noticed as I edit them. 
because it is a, a horrific of, experience. Yeah, it's a horrific experience. But also <laughs> we do we draw a lot of connections. Like I know one episode we were drawing connections to the Halloween series and just the way like <laughs> Halloween well, five what, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. So, yeah. So like, yeah, there's, there's connections to the Halloween series that we find. So, you know, if you want to see if you want to not watch the Fast and the Furious movies through the lens of a horror fan. It's, mm. you know, sign up $5, you get one every month, and we'll be doing uh, Furious 7 this month. And they are like three and a half long, hour-long episodes. It's just Steve and I rambling. <laughs> it is genuinely very funny and, and, and entertaining. And I actually went back and re-listened to, was it the last one or the one before where I, where I almost vomited from laughing during the episode? It was the last one. It was the, the last the one, six. <laughs> six. I'm not even, not even going to ruin the bit, but Steve almost made me piss myself. It was genuinely the hardest <laughs> I've ever laughed oh on a podcast. So and I went back and listened to it and laughed exactly as hard. So, um, all right. Uh, that's all the self-promotion nonsense out of the way at the top of the show. I would like, however, um, for for uh, Sarah, um, because I always forget and then I hate wait until the end of the podcast. Um, we you know, we mentioned your Instagram handles. Any other like fun um projects, like things you would like to direct our listeners to to go check out if they're like two hours into this podcast going, Hey, I like her. She's pretty fun. Um, and they should already have in their head where they can go check. Yeah. Where, where would that happen? Well, a lot of my stuff is on Instagram. That's where I update a lot of my things. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of conventions. I mostly around Florida, but I am starting to branch out to do, um, some more South States. Um, I do a lot of like guest conventions. So, uh, I tend to travel a lot. I do have a um, short film coming out that I was in and I did the special effects makeup for. Sweet. I believe I when I first started talking to you guys, I, I sent photos about it. We were having original make uh, original music done for it. Should be oh, done sweet. soon. So that'll be coming out when it comes out. I'll post about it. So, yeah, most of my updates are just on my Instagram. Yeah, Re- it's reanimated dot nerd, right? On the Instagram. Yes. So like, yes, uh, referencing uh, reanimator because I, like, yep. I'm i looking at the syringe I have <laughs> behind me because I cosplayed uh, Herbert West once. I, I was just drinking out of my my reanimator coffee mug several minutes ago, but I left it downstairs. Oh, I'm dope. a huge reanimator fan of a huge uh, uh, um uh, well, all the things. Jeffrey it, Combs. It in the dark. Hey, there I you go. Love it. Yeah horrifying levels of racism aside i am a huge hp lovecraft fan too like you know <laughs> oh yeah and yeah right it's a, yeah don't say the name of his cat guys it's like being a michael jackson fan yeah it's like being a michael jackson fan you just gotta like you gotta <laughs> oh, deal yeah, right? you gotta deal with it it's not fun yeah. um, but i've been rereading all of hp uh, lovecraft's um, short stories and novellas as well too so we're on this we, we are aligned here and hopefully we can like uh, that connection that we're having, we can hopefully use to take down Steve. Um, so we'll see how that goes here in the show. Uh. Um, okay. Let's get into some beers and then let's get into some dang old movies. Um, who has a beer that wants to jump into this son of a bitch? Steve, wait, let's start with Steve. What do you got over there? I have basically just a rejection of dry January. Yeah, it's you know, it, it, everybody wants to do that. And it's like, eh, eh, why? Here's what I say. Stick it up your ass. 
That's what yeah. I say about dry January. Yeah. Do it. Don't drink booze if you don't want to drink booze. But get out of my goddamn face about it. Don't make me feel bad about drinking booze. Yeah. Don't, if you want to quit, you. just quit. That's fine. <laughs> if you're a quitter. Just because I'm drinking yeah. all the time. <laughs> I don't respect quitters. That's what no. I always say. Um, <laughs> I, saw, I saw something funny. It was just posted online about like, it's really weird that a whole entire industry just quits for a month and is willfully hurting the businesses that provide them. Yeah. Like just for a month or like, ah, fuck your small business. Bye. Yeah. Fuck you. The month that is already the hardest. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, it's also, it's also like, uh, uh, what do they call it when you're, when you, you basically are like, Hey, look at me. I'm superior to you because of my, uh, look at what, what's the damn word I'm, I'm thinking are you, of. Are you talking virtue signaling? Virtue signaling. Thank you. <laughs> Steve and I've been doing this long enough. He knows where my stupid references that aren't going to make any sense are. Yeah. I call, I call virtue signaling. You know what? Yeah. And I call gatekeeping too. And I don't even know exactly what that means, but I call it on, on dry January. Gatekeeping, gatekeeping is when you say something's Italian giallo and not American giallo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you can't um, like horror if you haven't seen these movies. Like that's what gatekeeping is. Yeah. Yes. Like, yes. You're not that a real is horror a fan better. if, yeah. You're not a real horror fan if you, if you haven't, I haven't uh, watched yeah. a Serbian film, like it's that's, it's that shit. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, if you don't have a Serbian film on your monthly rotation, you're not a real horror fan. I, uh, I actually, yeah. interestingly enough, this just made me think of this. This is totally off topic, um, but I've been going through, and so I, I, I love Stephen King. We did a Stephen King episode re- earlier this year. I love Stephen King film adaptations. Like even if they suck ass, I still like them. Um, I went to Maine. I, love I was in Overdrive. I, Oh, fuck. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. You were, you were in good company. We love it. Um, I, I, uh, went to, I was actually visited Bangor, Maine, um, uh, this summer did a whole Stephen King guided bus tour. It was the just hokiest, funnest thing of all time. We did an episode on it. Anyway, I had never read the dark towers series. Mm. I've read any of them. Mm -hmm. Now those are, those are like his, for those of you don't know, it's like his, um, uh, f- uh, uh, like dark fantasy series. It's not like pure horror. It's more dark fantasy, but it was like, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's like eight books. Right. And everyone's like, you're not a real Stephen King fan. If you haven't <laughs> read the dark tower series. And I was like, you don't say that about me. So I went out and bought like the first three of them at the used bookstore. And I, and I just finished the first one and I was like, ah, fuck, I really like it. Um, yeah, well. it's, yeah. So, all right. So I'm reading the dark tower series right now, but yes, I was reading stuff online about like, Hey, you know, just to get a feel for it. I'm like, I'm not going to go out and I'm not going to commit to reading eight fucking books, you know, and, and everyone was like, yeah, yeah, I just saw a lot of that kind of gatekeeping behavior on there, which was yeah. fun. And then I read it and I was like, I no fuck. They are good. <laughs> anyway, guys. Um, You're not, anyway, the, yeah. the beer I'm drinking. Oh, beers. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Beers. Yeah. Anyway, the beer I'm drinking is just kind of that, you know, the, the ex- exact opposite of dry January because it's an 11 and a half barrel aged stout. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know how old this one is, though, because I reached into the back of my fridge mm-hmm. and just found that I had been aging a stone woot stout for no fucking reason, I guess. Oh, the deepest, darkest. Like you reached back so far that like a little fucking yeah. a, a little ghoulie handed it to you. Yeah. From the back that yeah. I got a little ghoulie. Yeah. <laughs> I had I had it a was choice. Like, hey, between- give him this. Hey, <laughs> zoom zoom juice. 
Yeah, I had a choice between this and uh, a worldwide stout from 2018. Ooh, that and, probably fucks too, though. Yeah, probably, but I just didn't want to do 18. <laughs> percent Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now yeah, I get so, you. Stone wood stout, imperial aged stout on pecans, wheat and rye, and yeah, it's a. Uh, it, I mean, it's really, really fucking mellow at this point because mm-hmm. I don't know how old this one is. Yeah, it's got to be at least two years, I think. So yeah, it's super. It's just super mellow, and it does not taste like it's eleven and a half percent. So nice. I'll. So this will be gone, and I'll be silly before I getting, finish. It's getting good to you. <laughs> it's getting good silly. to you over there. Yeah. Um, well, um, Sarah, what, what are you drinking on over there? We we talked about we were um, all self shaming ourselves before because we didn't do anything Italian, but you did something uh, very much on uh, on theme. I wouldn't say it's Italian, but it is a little bit on theme. Yeah. Um, to, to go with my red sweater. I don't know why I'm talking like this. To go with my red sweater, uh, I just did like a red. I, I was, yeah, trying to spice it up. Back like I did something a little more than just put food coloring and apple juice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's what I did. And now it looks like I'm drinking uh, the classic neon red blood that we love to see in these movies it does it looks it looks oddly festive as well i, I love yeah. it and the contrast yeah. with the 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 light in the back like it's just it's screaming giallo to me that oversaturated uh giallo look right. i just thought to myself you know and listen the way the way i'm getting after a couple of beers we might have to take a pee break at some point here i might go make myself a dang old negroni because i know i got some campari mm. and sweet vermouth mm-hmm, mm-hmm, downstairs mm-hmm. so i might do a little that's an italian cocktail and it's yeah. red for Christ's sakes. I feel stupid. I didn't think about it first. Um, I am actually going closer down the, uh, the down the road of uh, of, of Steve. Um, I'm drinking Imperial Stout, but in uh, uh, bougie uh, douchebag Cicerone fashion, I am doing a, a very classic Yorkshire oh, Imperial yeah. Stout. In that, I'm drinking uh, Samuel Smith's Imperial Stout, uh, fermented in in those those uh, those squares in Yorkshire, baby. Um, so very different thing to what you're uh, what you're drinking, Steve. Their yes. imperial stout is a balmy seven percent, um, yeah. and it's all that dark fruit. It's like dang old, you know. It's it's definitely got some like uh, coffee espresso type of thing, but it's like fig juice. Like it's dark fruit, cur- black currant fig, yeah, yeah. prune, tobacco, and then it's good. got the yeah. It's a, it's a real old school. English style imperial stout, and then Samuel Smith, this particular brewery from New Yorkshire, really has it's known for a very unique house yeast character that they call the Yorkshire nose, which has a little bit of like butterscotch, hay, and then it has this kind of like mm. cidery type of characteristic to it. So it's like it's very mm. dark fruit oh, and less <laughs> like the intense bourbony thing to, to that that Steve's doing. But I fucking mm-hmm. love this beer. I always drink English beers around uh, around um, Christmas because, you know, it feels very Dickensian to be drinking English ale around Christmas time. Um, And this one was like the one I didn't get to in the variety pack. So I said, you know what? Let's let's fucking get after it. That sounds good. I'm jealous. I'm like, damn, now I just got blood apple juice. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to say, Sarah, if you added milk to it, then I think it would have the same consistency as like the Argento blood where it's opaque. <laughs> yeah, just half and half, just heavy cream right to it or oat milk or something. No, good. Yeah. No, no. All right. Fine. No, no. I just wish you were oh, more committed. Oh. That's all I wish. I just wish I just, you were more committed. No. Oh, you don't know, man. This, look, you're an effects artist. I'm sure you've got awful things you've mixed together to look like blood. I before. have an oxygen tube that that I had to put in my mouth a few months a few weeks ago and I had to sit on the floor and like have fake blood in my mouth and like like blow Shoot it, it out into the guy's Oof. neck so <laughs> <laughs> it was like 3 in the morning I'm, like puking up fake blood well, yeah. hopefully by the end I of this episode, that's where we'll all be. We'll all be there in, in, in an hour and a half. Um, all right. Uh, let's get into it, guys. Uh, let's talk about some giallo. Let's get into the giallo January. Um, so uh, for those of you who didn't listen to the little uh, kind of interlude um, recording that Steve popped in there uh, on uh, right around New Year's, where we talked about what the picks are going to be for giallo January. Um Here's what we're going to talk about. Interestingly enough, this worked out super fortuitously in that we think about the the grand scheme of like the time frame of uh, of giallo films, like the core time of of Italian giallo films really was from like the the 60s, like mid 60s through like the mid early 80s right really focused Mm -hmm. in the 70s but it started in the the 60s i think there's plenty of like classics that happen in the 80s but we're really talking about 60s 70s and 80s primarily we without planning each picked a movie and we ended up with one from the 60s one from the 70s one from the 80s which turned out which you know hey you can't plan any any better than that so steve is going to be talking about blood and black lace from 1964 this is one of the kind of like origin films of of the subgenre if you will um and then uh we're gonna go a little bit out of order just because this is the order that uh uh oh in this instance uh sarah had the uh had the um the pleasure of picking the order because our guest won last time when mr brandon guest repeat offender on the podcast he won last time (laughs) um and you know what brandon you didn't do anything you got handed that and come back and tell me that's not what happened and we'll have a fucking showdown in the squared circle um but uh he 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 got dealt uh black christmas obviously took it home uh in december so sarah got to pick the order in any case second sarah is going to come in hot with tenebrae from 1982 and then your boy's going to be bringing up the rear uh with uh, a, a flick from the year of our lord 1973 torso just a goddamn sleaze fest over there guys yeah. i'm excited to talk about okay steve uh the floor is yours let's talk about uh let's talk about blood and black lace a little bit yeah so 1964 as we said blood and black race directed by one mario bava mm, it's a me mario it's a me mario the director of the movie <laughs> Louisiana. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a from uh, Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> that's where that's where the origin of this movie. That's where it comes from. I, again, yeah. I just want I want to respect people's Italian heritage. You know, right. I know it's a pro, it's a province in Italy, Louisiana. <laughs> Louisiana. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's right above Sicily. It's right yep. below uh, uh, below Pepperoni. Florence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
That's where Papa John's from. It's right there. <laughs> it's across from Book of the Peppos. <laughs> it's across from Book of the Peppos. <laughs> but yeah, Blood and Black Lace. I pick. I, I pick this one specifically because of the, the one. It is one of the originators of the genre. It's not as sleazy as the following films that we'll talk about. No, uh, sir. It has, it has a little bit of more class than some of it's these pr- other. <laughs> one may say it's prudish in comparison. It's prudish in comparison to Torso. That's a damn pervert movie. <laughs> every, every movie is prudish in comparison to Torso. That's exactly why I picked it. I love yeah. Um, the other reason why I picked it, though, was because it stars one Cameron Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And everybody... I mean, at least between Brian and I, I know for sure that uh, Brian and I are mystery science theater fans. Mm-hmm. And just it, it, if you have most people have this image of Cameron Mitchell being a sit down actor. But if you go far enough back, he's actually a real actor and he does a really well put on performance mm-hmm. for being an international cast in this film. Yeah. Like you, this film is wild because Bava brought in American actors, German actors, and Italian actors and said, okay, let's make a movie. And I'm not going to record sound on set either. So don't worry about not saying the lines right because you're all getting overdubbed. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. And and honestly, yeah. Steve, you're acting like this is like some sort of crowning achievement. It makes it pretty easy when you literally don't have to say anything or sound like you give a shit. <laughs> Well, that's one thing I like about these films. That's one little quirk I like about them. It's just the obvious. I do. I like it. I hate it. I like it. I like it too. And like, uh, you know, and I actually was, well, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I almost like didn't pick the movie that I picked because I love it because the it's not dubbed, right? It's, uh, it's Mm -hmm. subtitled. Um, Right. That threw me off. I will say that. Yeah. And and I actually, I had second guesses because of that, but anyway, we'll, 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 we'll keep that on why I'm opening myself up to these, to to these criticisms (laughs) this early in the episode. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends, depending on where you watch blood and black lace, like on Tubi, they have the original Italian dub, Mm -hmm. but but what's interesting about this film is that like it didn't matter what the lines they were saying, like they had general lines and one of the actresses in this film, uh, Mary Arden, who plays Peggy in this film, mm-hmm. she actually spoke all three languages, I believe. And so she wrote, she rewrote the scripts for everybody. So they I remember could just, do that. I think they, did they do this on the last drive-in? Um, do I don't know. I feel like I they got the Joe Bob treatment. I might be wrong about that. Um, but I, I, I do remember hearing that fact before, which was, it's just very, an impressive, impressive fact. Yeah. If, if, if they did it on the last drive and I didn't see it, but it, mm. they, that's obviously a Joe Bob fact that would come up as well. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, so the, the scripts were rewritten for everybody. And then you can kind of tell like Cameron Mitchell, for example, is speaking English while he's on screen with his Italian counterparts who are speaking Italian to him. But then. Mario Bava didn't record sound on set. He just had it all done post. Mm-hmm. And then so you get you you get a an Italian dialogue track yeah. that is just everybody, which I think is almost a little bit of a reverse of the way we see the other films in the future go. Cause when you see like New York Ripper and mm-hmm. 
you know, a lot of the Argento stuff. Argento does English overdubs. Yeah. For all the films rather than, uh, you know, Italian. Although I do believe there is an English dub of Blood and Black Lace as well. But there is. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, uh, to get into the movie, uh, just one of the most undeniable opening scenes. I just absolutely love this uh this colorful tableau is what he creates to introduce yeah. all the actors. It, it feels like um, it feels kind of almost like a, a curtain call. Uh, it, it's not something you see very common in film today because they, they, they it, there's almost a, a lack of immersion to it because he, he puts up all the actors against these color tableaus that are also full of like, you know, these dressing mannequins and also these other just red velvet mannequins that I don't I don't know how common they were in the time. <laughs> <laughs> I just like I just feel like the, like there was I, I feel like they were on every street corner in 1964, you know, Rome for whatever reason. Yeah. That just feels like such a of its time <laughs> thing. Um, and, and also, like, I mean, this movie, even, you know, people think about Argento as having, you know, as being the person who really popularize the whole uh oversaturated type of color that you see in in these types of movies but like honestly i feel like bava was the one who really put it on the map and mm-hmm. like in a lot of ways mario i don't think in a lot of ways in i i think most people who are fans of the genre or, or knowledgeable about the genre like would probably credit mario bava as being closer to the person who really created this subgenre Maybe mm-hmm. Dario Argento, you, you, it would be fair to argue maybe he perfected it in something like, you know, Deep Red, um, which we uh, which we talked about, like specifically we weren't going to do <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, and sometimes listen, this is new to, to Sarah, but like um, we have a rule called the Meg rule. And Meg is our our, our former uh, uh, third co-host. Uh, God rest her soul. She's she's not dead. She's dead to us. Um, I'm just kidding. No, she's not. She still comes on the podcast quite frequently. She's a good friend. Um, but fuck her. Yeah. Um, but just kidding. But not really. No. Um, anyway, so Meg is uh, Meg. We used to always joke that if we were doing shark movies, Meg is going for Jaws. You know, if we're doing if we're doing demon possession movies, she's going for The Exorcist. And she would always just like because she would just take. Um. She, She's not, she's no glove. She's okay. going for your eyes. She's, she's punching you in the nuts and gouging your eyes simultaneously. She's just going for the jugular. Um, and so we joke that the, we have to in, implement the Meg rule, which if there is a dominant movie in the, in the genre, we just all have a, an agreement that, okay, none of us are going to pick that. So we did kind of do that. For those of you who are wondering at home, why didn't any of these people talk about Deep Red? We kind of specifically said in an agreement hey maybe we just skip deep red because it is kind of widely considered to be the peak of the genre um but anyway i thought i'd mention that but back to my my point before i started babbling mario bava i think is the one who really created this kind of like the look of giallo to me Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean all throughout this film we get a lot of playing with unmotivated lighting and just all these crazy colors 
you know, it's set up perfectly again in this tableau because it, you have at least three or four different, just different light sources that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And, but that, but it, it, it makes sense within this tableau thing that you're seeing as we're introduced to all the actors. Um, there's an interesting thing and I don't know if either of you caught it, but when we're introduced to Cameron Mitchell's character, it's one of the few tableau shots that has movement in it and the Mm. movement is one of the mannequins moves its head to look at him i mean i did subconsciously you know now that you say that because i've seen this movie more than any of the other movies on here um Mm -hmm. but i didn't you know i didn't make any type of symbolic connection but yeah i I just wonder if i'd only seen once so i didn't catch that the other ones i've seen before so Fair enough, fair enough. I was just wondering, like, if you guys picked up on that and if you read it the same way I did, mm-hmm. as like, oh, that's one of the few I ones. I want to go back no- and rewatch it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's one of the few ones that has movement in it that's, that's like intent- intentional movement. Because, like, some of the other mm-hmm. actors are like, they're like breathing or sometimes they'll just look at the camera. But this one has like movement from, you know, the, the mannequin that looks at him. And I was like, oh, I wonder if he just put a little clue at the very beginning for. No reason, just to do it. <laughs> Ooh, a little Easter egg. Yeah, that's a good thing. But after this tableau, we move into, uh, we get introduced to basically what the setup is for the film. And it is, we're, we're thrust into the culture of 1960s fashion, which is like kind of, uh, this, this whole film feels of a time. And I know, Brian, you're, you know, you remember when we watched the love witch mm-hmm. that that film feels like it's stealing so much from this film. A hundred percent. It like, it's, I mean, not stealing, but it is derivative in the way it is trying to ape mm-hmm. what we see Hev- in this film. Heavily into, and that movie is, I mean, on its very much on its surface, trying to replicate this movie, you know, mm-hmm. n- n- not just the oversaturation, but specifically all the reds and specifically the glamour. Like, that's one mm-hmm. of the things of like early Giallo that once you get to to I mean, Ten- Tenebrae, I guess, has a little bit. But even once you get to like almost a decade later with Torso, Torso is a little bit of an outlier. And there is I guess there's a little bit of it. But I feel like a lot of the early um, stylization that you get in Giallo was very um I don't I, I this might not be the best word, but glamorous is the way I'm, yeah. I'm kind of looking at it. It was. It was yeah. it was very it was like sophisticated. It was it was very like um, it was high society ish, you know, kind of feel to it. Yeah, it was. It was it was put together and it was you weren't getting grimy ass characters. Yeah, it was. Well, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't yeah, know. You're, I, think, I don't know grimy character wise, but like I'm, I'm talking about like it's just you you didn't very often see um, settings that were anything like no no set piece was um, you know a normal person's home. You know, it was right. always like lavish yeah. mansions and things very, like that. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, like every, these every, people have their old money. Like they have, they have mm-hmm. good. Like they are very. Yeah. yeah. Every every house has like a fifteen foot ceiling. Is what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then like 
a bunch of windows and crazy like ornamental woodwork and stuff yeah so yeah and and we get that in this film obviously because we're th- we're thrust into the haute couture of mm-hmm. you know the christian fashion house and you know, we we basically experience a, a a murder blackmail plot set within you know high fashion society one of the things that we get early on from Bava that after he's done showing off with all his colors, then he starts showing off with like shot composition mm-hmm. and we get very busy, uh, like very busy frames. We get very movement oriented frames. Mm-hmm. And so you see it in like this first scene. It's Nicole coming to meet Marco, right? I, I can't, this is one thing. I mean, for those of you listening to the show, know I'm terrible with names. These movies have so many fucking characters, and I can't keep track of whose name is who. Like I really can't. I can't. When there's five characters, I can't keep track of people. But when there's twenty characters, so characters I really can't keep track of people. And like some of the set pieces <laughs> get used over and over again. Like the service station in this movie, I, I'm ninety percent sure is the same service station that's used in in uh, Torso. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I, oh my god. Yeah, like the they're definitely right. shooting it in the sim, in this in similar places too. So these movies, like, oh yeah. As much as I love Giallo, they blend together for me, and the characters are all the same people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it is hard to keep track of, and like they all have their own kind of motivations, which is like it. It's kind of the beauty of the film because they all have their own motivations as to why they could be the murderer and why, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're doing the things they're doing. So it, it's Nicole and Franco is at the start of this film. And, yeah. you know, Nicole is running out of the, you know, the fashion house to meet Franco in like, you know, this rainy and they got the wind machine going and they got the rain machine going. Oh and, yeah. They love it. So yeah. much mist. Everything's so misty yeah. all the time. Actually, this is not as much mist. My movie is all mist. This is a little bit of mist. But. Yeah, your movie's a lot of mist and fog. They definitely got mm-hmm. the fog machine out in the woods. <laughs> but, you know, we... It's pulled some Sam Raimi shit. <laughs> it really does. We can, uh, wait, we got to save yeah. that there Raimi. because, like, Torso, I think that's why I like Torso is because it's, like, it feels like a Sam Raimi-directed giallo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a not a bad idea if he's listening. He's not, but hey, you know, yeah, hey, he's not. But if he is, yeah, let's put it out if into the is. universe. But yeah, we, uh, but yeah, even in this busy frame of you know, we have Nicole and Franco in this clandestine meeting, and you have you know all these crazy unmotivated lights, but also in the background in the house, you can see people moving in the windows. You know, there, there's there's action happening even outside of the action we're supposed to be paying attention to. Yeah. Uh, Having just came out of the holiday season, I couldn't help but think that one of them was a Michael Jackson standee on a train, just going around in circles (laughs) like Home Alone. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think they were doing that. I don't think they were waiting on the pizza man to take advantage of them. (laughs) All right, fine, fine, whatever. Um. But, you know, right after this little clandestine meeting, we also get introduced to the character Isabella and Isabella is kind of the crux of the entire film. She is the first domino to initiate everything. Mm -hmm. But in her introduction, Bava like takes the time to really paint these kind of lavish portraits of the architecture that they're in. 
Like you, you get a lot of high archways. You get these unmotivated lights just blowing out the back. And like when she comes through that archway of trees and it's just this giant bright spotlight that has no reason to be there other than to just provide that the lighting of it's an illogical lighting, but when the lights in the lamppost go out, that's the lighting in the back that just kind of, you know, makes everything that much more ominous and spooky. So she's like trudging through the rain and then she is attacked by the killer. And I love I love the way the killer is in this film. It's definitely not this way in the other movies that we'll talk about tonight that you see just the full body killer. A lot of the giallo is based on you see the blood, you see the black gloved killer, right? You know, you see the black glove hand. That's very common. But in this film, you get like the full body of the killer. And when he kills, it's incredibly brutal because mm-hmm. the camera almost never cuts away. Yeah. Like it's, it's always just him like wrestling women to the ground, strangling them. It's not, uh, it's, it, it's not like opera where opera has, you know, the, the killer has his specific weapon that he wants to use or, you know, has like set up a devious trap in some way. It's not yeah. like uh Tenabre where it's the, you know, the straight razor. It's, you know, the, he just has no plan about himself other than he, I'm going to wrestle some women and I'm going to get in my way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit more. So <clears throat> still, regardless of the, you know, the violence in Giallo movies is is oftentimes very um, bracing in that way. But at the same mm-hmm. time. People die so easily, like you can strangle a person <laughs> in four seconds and yes. it's like, like if you don't get air in your lungs for four seconds, fucking dead. You're under. Um, and the same thing with like, well, in Tenabre, but this is not just I'm not picking on that movie because like it's every yellow. If somebody gets their throat cut, it's like they were shot in the brain. They're immediately yes. dead. <laughs> well, it's funny because in, in Torso, I'm not going to mention because oh, we're not to your movie yet, but there's I'm literally thinking of one very specific scene where. Yeah. I mean, as soon as something gets wrapped around her, she's done. Oh, yeah. She's dead. Literally, if something it's touches so your neck, you're dead. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and you can literally see the marks like she was strangled for like a few minutes. And I'm like, oh. in, in, in this modern world of like where we all listen to like true crime podcasts and shit, we all know that it takes like 15 minutes to strangle someone. And it's a brutal, <laughs> harrowing, like exhaustive thing. But in Giallo, mm-mm. you flick somebody in the jugular, they've been suffocated. I think I think what you're both forgetting and missing is that in this time, everybody smokes. So everybody has weak ass baby lungs. They're not, you know, they can they can have their breath taken away. They, yeah. they just go down easy as hell. They're brittle. They didn't have good diets. You know, they, they weren't taken. They weren't taken one a days. So like, even though, yeah, they're, they're hot and they're in shape, yeah. they cannot sustain any damage. They're living off like nicotine and weed and champagne. It was literally, yes, it's <laughs> nicotine and wine. That was 90% of their caloric intake. They, mm-hmm. nobody has any muscle tone. Nobody has, nobody has any fat on their body. Nobody has any muscle tone. They're just skin and bones. And if you flick them in the throat, they die. So that right. makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. 
Yeah. With, with the exception mm-hmm. of the uh, Inspector Silvestri in this movie, because mm-hmm. that dude is basically like Italian Reacher. Yeah, like he's he's, Ita- not, he's <laughs> Italian. It's funny to he's call him that because he's like so scrawny in comparison. But yes, I understand what you mean. Yeah. I mean, he's he's scrawny in comparison to real Reacher, but like still yeah. in comparison to everybody else, he's towering. He's towering over it. Yeah. But also, let's be clear: we're not talking about Tom Cruise five foot two Reacher. We're talking Mm-mm. about the new TV series Reacher with the big giant Jack lumberjack guy who I don't know, but is very, very, very attractive man. Oh yeah, big guy. I'm not yeah. saying I have a severe crush on him. But I have a severe crush on him. He's a very good-looking man. Everybody's in love with Alan Richardson. His Aryanness makes me slightly uncomfortable, but he's very attractive. <laughs> it bothers me, but yeah, but yeah, but I kind of like it. Uh, but yeah, you know, Isabella, she's dispatched, and then she is later discovered in the closets in one of the closets of the fashion house. And this is what kicks everything off because now you have an investigation and in this investigation, they also find her diary and her diary boy. She was really shitty about just keeping notes on everybody. Mm-hmm. Like she has, she kept that dirt on it all. Yeah. Her, her diary wasn't <laughs> like I wake up and go journaling yeah, it, it wasn't like oh, yeah, exactly. What I was gonna say, it's a burn book. It's a full yeah, it's a burn, burn book. book. Burn book. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna journal my intentions for the day. It's oh, that bitch Peggy, she had an abortion, and Marco, he has a pill addiction, and Franco, he gets me my coke, and Massimo, he is you know <laughs> this, that, and the other. It's like Whore. wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it yeah, was like, it was full on Mean that. Girls burn book. Yeah, absolutely. And so this becomes the crux of like why everybody is dying. That that's pretty apparent. You just don't know why. You know, you don't know who is trying to keep their name out of the book. Yeah, they all have uh, motivation, right? Which is yeah. like yeah. A, another Giallo hallmark is, you know, the whole subgenre could be just called like, you know, red herring. Because there's mm-hmm. just all it is is setting up how many people Literally. have so many people have motivation. Everyone has motivation, but who actually did it? That's it's just like, suspicious Italians. Just <laughs> sus Italians. That is the subgenre. I don't want to hear about the yellow and the, the paperbacks and the pulp novels. Just call it sus Italians. That's what it is. Yeah. Sus Italians. Yeah. <laughs> With intent to murder. It happens. I mean, I think the I think you guys' films are all are sus Italians, but also creepy perverts. Mm-hmm. You know, slash creepy yeah. creepy perverts. We I don't have as many creepy perverts in my film. You got it's, a couple. Got a couple. Got a couple. Not gonna lie. Not gonna say I don't. <laughs> not gonna say I'm not guilty of having some perverts in my film. I'm gonna say I'm better <laughs> than the, you guys, but yeah. <laughs> the guy, actually the guy who's not I'm trying to think. I'm trying to there's too many fucking characters. But the guy who plays like Cesar, I think it is. Cesar, okay. Luciano Pagosi. Everyone, yeah. like you've seen him. Everyone's seen him who's seen like Italian movies. Like he's a pretty common guy you see quite often. He, I refer to him as the Italian Peter Laurie. 
Yeah. He just he looks, looks like, like Peter, Peter Laurie. Laurie. Yeah. He even talks to me a little bit. He's a fucking creep. He could do nothing sexually threatening, and I'm immediately like, that guy's a pervert. He's a yeah. rapist. Keep him away from me. <laughs> like he just look, he just oozes that energy. Well, I mean, he also oozes other things because like his his head is constantly wet. Like he his forehead is always plastering down his hair. Yeah. So like, which is, which lends to that Peter Laurie, you know, allegory of just like, he has stringy wet hair that's plastered yeah. to his head. Right. But like he, he basically almost does nothing in this film except get accused. Cause yeah. when they're at the, when they're at the well, police he looks station, like the way, when you look the way that you look, <laughs> yeah, it's going to happen. People are going to accuse you of crimes. <laughs> Especially when the other people are accused, they're drug addicts trying to yeah. you know hide their own dirt, and they're like, "But look at him; he's impotent, and he can't yeah. have sex with women." But so it's like, this little Peter Laurie looking ass motherfucker over here, like that's yeah. that's the guy. <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah, fair. I want to jump ahead, so we we get the setup of you know the diary and everything, and there's a little kind of back and forth of like who has the diary. There's some little switcheroo going on, but. We have the character of Nicole, who we started the film with. She says, she calls up Franco and she says, hey, Franco, I got Isabella's diary. I'm going to bring it to you and you can tear out the pages and we can deal with what mentions you. Because Franco is like a Coke dealer. And also he's having you know an affair with Nicole after leaving Isabella. So it's kind of like he's kind of he would be suspect number one mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, Isabella is yeah. dead. It's usually the husband or the boyfriend. So that, that, that's goes, another big hallmark of Giallo is clandestine meetups. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's another big Giallo thing. Always meeting up. Yeah, always meeting up for wheat for, for clandestine <laughs> reasons. Meeting up trying to get one over on the cops. Yeah. <laughs> I just had a revelation, you know, so, sorry, I've been rewatching Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, have you all seen Twin Peaks? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little bit. It's probably been I don't, six or six or eight years. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just this might be this might be kind of a hot take. Mm. Um, it's a giallo. I just just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I'm not going to go that David Lynch far. does American Giallos. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I don't know, maybe just because of what we're talking about. I just, the, the meetups, they're always meeting up and doing weird shit. And <laughs> I don't know, it just made me think of Twin Peaks. Probably just because I've been rewatching it. Yeah. Random thought, yeah. don't mind me. Mm-hmm. I mean, no. at least in that one, you know, the, the police are a little more involved. But yeah, this all the meetups in this one are just like trying to circumvent the law. Like, let's not get yeah. caught because everybody's doing some kind of dirt is what like it really is. Yellow. Yeah, <laughs> like Twin Peaks, everybody's just weird. And so they just want to be weird together. <laughs> just fucking weird. Yeah, this one, <laughs> yeah. everybody's some sort of criminal and they just don't want to get caught being a criminal. <laughs> they're trying but, not to be weird, but they're then being weird. Like one of the <laughs> random, you know, characters named like Luciana or some bullshit, whatever. And she just is carrying a log, like with no explanation. <laughs> She's just got a log. <laughs> yeah, you know. Love the log lady. 
per- perhaps that's one of the characters in the background of that you yeah. don't notice like yeah. one of the busy models just walking back and forth <laughs> throughout this lot. film yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i just wanted to fast forward to the scene of nicole she goes to visit franco and franco is an antiquities dealer dealer and just this whole scene is like beautifully shot and you get this crazy neon light that is set up on her arrival it's the it's like a flashing dance club sign but somehow it it occupies the entire antiquities house and you know there's no way this light could fill that much space but then also you have like these purple lights all throughout the antiquities shop as well that have no source at all so it's it's just painting this wonderful dark colorful maze because she's just running through the shelves of like you know vases and suits of armor and shit like that and then Um, there's another scene which is which is a much more um a much less desperate scene it's more like just kind of setting the 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 the, uh, setting the scene type of thing but it's like I think it's not long after it's early on in the movie. I don't remember exactly where it is, but it's um, it's a bunch of models and they're getting ready and they're doing this kind of like it's not a panning shot. It's it's on like a track or something like that where they're oh, going it's actually past. before it's yeah, it's actually before this scene that I'm talking okay. about. But yeah, I know it's early, but yeah, it, it's the one where they're going through like and everyone has their own little like like. Oh God! What's the word I'm looking for? They're only like, like dressing rooms, yeah, stalls for lack of a better term. I I'm trying to think of like the when you go to like a, a fancy hotel and they have like the little things you can rent by the pool. They're like these little mini you know tents by the pool. The word I want to say is pagoda. Cabana? Not accurate. <laughs> Cabana. Thank you. I want to say pagoda. <laughs> That's not it. Um, yes, yeah, so they, they have their own little like changing cabanas and it's like going past them and you're like kind of getting this eye you know this like uh, look into it i don't know it's just such a fun dynamic shot there's so much color there's so much activity mm-hmm. that's just one of the very first scenes i think of when i think of this movie it's such a pedestrian scene nothing much is happening but it just uh, that's like one of the first ones i think of yeah yeah that's the, that's the one thing bava does really well is that in those pedestrian scenes that are like in the kind of fashion house or just uh, even especially during daytime they may feel like a little flat um almost tv like but he makes sure to move the camera to keep things interesting whereas like you know a lot of the times you know when these murders are happening it's all the the bright garish light that we're you know, that we associate with the giallo uh subgenre but you know even when murder isn't happening he makes sure like the camera's moving he has a lot of motion going on and so it keeps the film just like an interesting thing to look at as well as you know specifically back to that scene brian's talking about is we have nicole she's kind of going back and forth between these cabanas and like trying to find her way out but even in the background the background is busy and the foreground is busy so like everything is busy 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 so yeah it's a just it's it's just the way I like to look at films. You know, things are busy or colorful, one or the other or both, and the camera's moving. It's all going on, and I love it that way. Yeah, <laughs> just keep things going. <laughs> yeah, give me something to look at. I'll stay entertained. Yeah, 
I, I also just want to go back to the scene in the antiquities house of Nicole trying to make her escape from the killer. Again, we get a couple like we get a really good use of this flashing light that he set up. Like the the light flashes on and you see the killer and then as it dissipates, the killer disappears. So and it's like, you know, slasher film trope of like the killer's there and then he's not. So I like I like that. They um, keep doing these and, fast zoom. There's a lot of like zooming in and out, in and out, mm-hmm. you know, which is which is obviously like kind of taking the temperature of the in, of like the intensity of the chase, you know, like. She'll get away for a minute and it's, you know, it starts from a different angle and it's out. And then as he as the killer gets closer, then it zooms in a little bit closer. You know what I mean? It's just it just really mm-hmm. um, amplifies the the suspense of like she's not going to be able to get away from this guy. Right. Or as like she was running a direction and then a big trunk fell in her way. Mm-hmm. And then she as she runs the other direction, the killer appears and then you zoom in on the killer. It's like, oh, there he is. Oh, <laughs> um, but then also like there is there's a mirror shot as she's running away where you see her reflection running towards the camera, essentially. Mm-hmm. But then she runs and hits the mirror and then the camera moves to show her. And I just these kind of shots, uh, I guess you probably say pre 80s, pre 90s. I just love them so much because it required you to physically figure out how to not show the fucking camera in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Like, yeah. Take that for granted yeah. now. Yeah. Like, cause I mean, you take it for granted now. Cause like, there's so many, uh, you know, ways you can just do it with computers. That's right. like, eh, whatever. But, uh, yeah. So you get, there was uh, a shot like that in this scene. And then, uh, later on in the film, you get a you you actually get one that looks even more complicated of the model Tao Li. Uh, Tao Li's like standing head on in front of a full length mirror. And you can tell it's a mirror, but then it does kind of the same move off the mirror to her. And it just looks I don't know. It just looks really impressive. And again, it just speaks to more of like how Bava keeps the frames, even though kind of the scene or the action may be a little pedestrian and not necessarily moving forward in a certain direction. He still keeps it looking interesting. Just to you you know, say, set things up. Did you say Tao Lee? Yeah. That's who uh, that is like it's the character's name. You want to get high? Tao not Tao Lee. No, not Tao Lee. <laughs> I know. High? Anybody need a towel? <laughs> Sorry. I, didn't, I get it. I don't keep track of these people's names. So when I hear them for the first time, I get intrigued. I, I understand. <laughs> Again, the names were really hard for me to keep track of as well. I kept yeah. I kept track of the ones from my movie. You yeah. guys' other movies? I barely, I barely, so did. I I barely knew the did names that. from my movie. Good. Yeah, I barely <laughs> yeah. did that. So yeah, uh, Nicole gets it. She gets killed. But the killer finds out she didn't actually have the diary because somebody else stole it. It turns out Peggy stole it. So Peggy burned it and the killer goes after her. Uh, I like when he's carrying Peggy up the stairs and then again, the camera moves to the other side of the stairs to see the cops coming up mm-hmm. just because that's a, that's a cool, like little tense thing of like how close they were 
Yeah. Yeah. They were so close, but yeah, not so much. The, this scene where after the, the killer abducts Peggy, he takes her to like just this dirty, dingy basement. And this is probably like one of the more brutal scenes, especially mm-hmm, for, for sure. the 60s, like yeah. especially for the 60s. But he like burns her hand on this red hot oven and then, you know, is essentially trying to torture her to figure out where the diary is. Despite, yeah. you know, Peggy have, having already burnt it, he doesn't believe her. And then so he burns her face because she reaches up and pulls his mask off and she sees who the killer is. Yeah. And and this is another Home Alone connection, because if you remember, <laughs> Kevin McAllister burns Marv. No, not Marv. It's uh, uh, Harry. Wait, what's the Harry burns no, Harry's hand on yeah, the doorknob. Burns, yeah, it burns Harry's hand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just I'm just saying there's a lot of connections here. And then sets his head on fire with and the, sets with his the head torch. on fire with the torch. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So yeah, it's all there. It's all home alone. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> Figures in the window, burning hands. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty much the same movie. Yeah, same movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so you know, we get we get the slightest flash that we see the killer's face, and so we know it's a male. Right. But, you know. Unless you slow it down, you don't see who it actually is. But because Peggy sees his face, you know, he sticks her face on the hot oven and burns her and kills her, which mm-hmm. is just like that. It's the most brutal part of this film. Yeah. And um, then later they really showcase the the corpse's burnt face quite a mm-hmm. bit throughout the rest of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Which apparently it's the all makeup, boiled up and hang in and it's it's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's icky. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently the makeup took a long time to apply despite like four hours. It looked. Yeah. What I heard. Yeah. Yeah. So like it like I don't think it looks as like complicated as like makeup that we would see today. Mm -hmm. But I think for the time it's like really impressive. So and it looks it doesn't um, sometimes when you see stuff like this in in movies of this era that are like trying to go a little bit more gory for a little bit more shock value. Um, and like, I'm not trying to pick on like Herschel Gordon Lewis or something because that was like even, uh-huh. or, you know, that was like really early in terms of these kind of gory types of scenes. You could see the kind of prosthetic, like hanging off the face. Right. And this You didn't like it looked it. I, I just thought it looked really, it looked really good. Yeah, it's it's blended in there pretty well. And mm-hmm. just like it, the way it is uh, of being just like these giant pustules, because it's all just that pustule yellow skin. I know I've mm-hmm. had like a burn similar to that of like I, I touched a piece of machinery that was like heated to 300 degrees mm-hmm. and my oh, arm geez. just instantly turned, you know, like it instantly just got one of those big yellow blisters on it. Oh, yeah. I used to get oil "Mm, burns back in my carny days, you know, doing those elephant ears, boys and girls, you Mm -hmm. know, the struggle of of working in the carnival, making elephant ears. I definitely had some big yucky boils on burn boils. on. But then even like later in the movie, I feel like it I feel like it later in in the movie, like starts to. I might be imagining this or maybe I'm giving it more credit than it deserves, but it almost feels like it like starts to dry out a little bit. It just gets grosser as it goes on. Yeah, it it looks almost yeah. like um, yeah, it looks almost like pork rinds. 
is <laughs> it, 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 like when she falls out of the trunk, it looks yeah. like pork rinds. <laughs> or when she's like getting carried up the stairs or whatever at that one point. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It must have been like a mix of like, I mean, I don't know if, um, I don't have liquid latex. It must have been like a mix of liquid latex and something and some other shit. But it it does. It, it looks latexy, it, but it, it but it like yeah. Latex. If after a long time, like if after a few hours, it will turn like a bit of a yellowish. If it's just like white liquid latex, it'll kind of yellow. Mm-hmm. Um, after a little bit, uh, so that. We, and it went it'll kind of get dry and so that might give the illusion of uh said pork rinds mm. <laughs> boy i wish i had some so, I, and, and I if know. i had them here i'd yummy eat them. right shit. sorry you don't have those snacks for you i don't need i don't need crunchy snacks on the mic <laughs> yeah i have liquid latex i don't have pork rinds oh i already have been but you see i've been moving very far away i didn't eat any dinner tonight so i have been eating cheez it's but i've been like two feet from the mic just to yeah <laughs> well I haven't eaten either I, I don't mind that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're through a lot of the major deaths and we come to the point where like the police are really heavily involved we see the, the gas station that Brian assumes is also his gas station <laughs> and it's because the gas station attendant had seen the car leaving the antiquities dealer so the police get the idea that if they knew about this car, this car has an alarm in it. So whoever knew how to drive this car knew how to shut the alarm off. And the cops just blanketly arrest everybody associated with Nicole and Peggy. And they bring them all downtown and they say, fuck it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're all going to jail. <laughs> Which, hey, you know, back in the day when you had no CCC TV cameras or anything like that, yeah. you just, that's just how you just do it. You, you just round cast them up. Wide you, go, net, you say, usual suspect style, you just line them up. Yeah. Everybody's yeah, going right? to jail. Mm-hmm. This is where we get that scene that we were talking about how Italian Peter Lorre is just flop sweating as another man accuses him of being impotent Mm -hmm. uh you have franco the antiquities dealer he's been in a clandestine meeting with uh the marquis ricardo the two of them have struck a deal before they were arrested to you know give franco an alibi against nicole's murder so you have all these moving parts and then just on his own there's cameron mitchell just having a smoke, not giving a shit about anything. He just <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty wonderful uh-huh. the way he just is stoic through the majority of the film. Like you don't necessarily suspect him other than the fact that it's Cameron Mitchell. So yeah. well, you know something's gonna happen. Either he's the bad guy or he's gonna catch the bad guy or just you know from the star power it's like when you saw somebody right. recognizable on law and order like that guy something's going on with that <laughs> yeah, guy right. like he's too yeah, big right. of a face or a name to not be something happening yeah to not be involved some way somehow mm-hmm. and the same, the same with Eva Bartok um you know Eva Bartok was a big name back then as well so the fact that the two of them are kind of tied together as the owners of the fashion house, you're like, oh, well, it's probably one of these two. 
Uh, it actually winds up being both. Both them. <laughs> it's both. It's both them. Because as all the men are rounded up at the police station, the uh, the the wife of Ricardo, Greta, he, you know, she goes home and then as she's going home, she opens the trunk of her car and finds Peggy's burned up face mm-hmm. in the back of her trunk. And she goes, oh, I can't call the police, I guess, for some reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I better hide this body in my house. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the killer kills her. And this is where you get your kind of first kind of uh oh, because you say, wait, all the men are locked up. So who's killing who's killing these women now? Why right. are these women getting killed all the time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then but, they and they're just getting stacked up like fucking cordwood out here. Like they're just mm-hmm. like literally getting stacked up, which is a odd, unnerving phenomenon yeah. in this so, movie. <laughs> which I think this, that's kind of the it's it, we talked about how in Black Christmas, like Bob Clark did a lot of things that were like he almost predicted the way the genre tropes would be and did some subversive things. And I think Bava kind of does that in this film where he predicts that a lot of Giallo films are going to be centered on these psychosexual maniacs. Yeah. Cause that's what your two's films are. Your yeah. two films are psychosexual maniacs. Yep. And so Bava says, I'm going to do it where I'm going to make the killer look like that. Mm-hmm. But it's actually like a more not mundane, but a more just like reasoned plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the murder. Yeah. And he has like he has his killers. You know, that's why, you know, you find Peggy and Greta like stacked up on each other in this weird, you know, like they, they've been literally pressed up against each other and just mm-hmm. left that way in a weird way. And mm-hmm. so like they're tr- the killers are trying to make it look like psychosexual murders. And so, you know, it's it boils down to uh, Cameron Mitchell has been planning this. He's been killing all the women because, again, Isabella's diary had some dirt on him. Sure. And the dirt was that him and the count, uh, the Contessa, uh, they previously, which we didn't see, had previously killed her husband. And that was in Isabella's diary. Mm-hmm. And so they needed to get rid of that evidence and they needed that's to get rid of That's a juicy diary bit. Like that's, yeah. it's not like, Ooh, so-and-so has been cheating on so-and-so literally Mm-mm. they murdered like someone. Some real shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's more of a, like <laughs> either go to the police or just keep it to yourself. Don't write it in the diary. That's a little too serious right. for diaries. <laughs> right. Also why it reminded me of Twin Peaks. Cause it was giving Laura Palmer's diary. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's true. It's like, that's I think that's why it. That makes sense. Yeah. It, yeah. This is it, it's weird. I'm it's like, like that is, really is not juicy. something unless you are into some deep, dark, you know, shit. You don't write that into your diary. This listen, this is not Glenn Danzig's diary. This is supposed oh. to be a regular person's diary. <laughs> Glenn Danzig that, yeah. writes about the, the murders that he witnessed in his diary. Um, but regular people, <laughs> not regular fashion, think, fashion people. 
I feel like Glenn Danzig's diary would just, he, he's never witnessed the murder, but it just always starts with, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if some lady <laughs> no. had her face burned? Yeah, but then her boobs were out too, because I'm Glenn <laughs> Danzig. But the boobs were out. But what if she had like a, what if she had like a crazy wreck? That's what all of Jill and Danzig, that's the beginning is, wouldn't it be cool if, and then at the end, yeah. but what if she had like really big boobs? That's how he ends. What if yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if, and then just tits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just every, probably every it, like paragraph Glenn Danzig's ever uttered as well. Right. And I took my right. shirt off. <laughs> <laughs> then I took my shirt off and I got stuck in my leather pants and it was bullshit. <laughs> and it was bullshit. And the lost books of the Bible and the, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if there were werewolves that were cowboys, but also they had huge wrecks. <laughs> <laughs> and all you can eat gabagool. Oh man, I wanted to get some more to tell earlier this week. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Down on yeah. Uh, but anyway, so we get uh, we get a, a strange clue is when uh, Cameron Mitchell and all the other boys are being re- released. Cameron Mitchell has this little notebook that is very recognizable because Bava has done, you know, zoom in shots on it. And we say, well, how can he be the killer and have this uh, thing if he had, you know, if he had been locked up? Mm-hmm. But it's the very next scene, and he's down in the down in the basement, and we see the reveal. Oh, his basement is the basement that where Peggy was getting her face burned. Yeah, and then the uh, the Countess reveals, "I did the murders for you, and I killed those other girls while you were locked up." And then it, it almost it kind of almost turns into like an Ashley Judd type thriller movie at this point. (laughs) Well, that, and also I just feel like the whole thing, like that could, if that was played a little bit more, like that could have been stretched out. You know what I mean? I just feel like it was rushed a little bit. That whole like reveal could have been the mid. And I don't know exactly what like minute it happened, but like that could have been the thing that was like, Oh, here's the mid twist. And then later you get the other twist or like it gets explained later. And it just felt I don't know. It felt like they. Set this up. You're like, oh, what's happening? And then they just like, ah, never mind. Here's what happened. You know what I mean? It just felt rushed, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it just felt like maybe it wasn't runtime wise, but that's how it felt. Yeah. Well, I I understand how how and why it feels rushed. And I mean, it is part of the runtime because like the the reveal that, you know, it's it's the countess and massimo happens at like an hour nine mm-hmm. and the movie's an hour 28 so yeah, it's a pretty tight movie mm-hmm. so yeah yeah you gotta wrap this shit up but also at this point like even though we've seen the police inspector these guys are nowhere near like the, the police are nowhere near figuring this out so we need somebody to reveal the answer to us and everybody else is like getting killed so we kind of just need the killers to just tell us, you know, what's going on. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it doesn't, uh, no one, no one has done the detective legwork to figure it out. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I think you see that in some other giallo films, 
Like sometimes the detective actually figures it out. Sometimes it is the detective, aka opera. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Rarely are you. That's a good point. I mean, think about that. Rarely are you seeing it from. That's almost a giallo trope in and of itself that I didn't really think about. Is like the authority. It's almost Charlie Brown world where the like mm-hmm. where the the parents almost don't exist in giallo films. Like the authorities almost don't exist a lot of times. Right. Or if they do, they're either like kind of bumbling or they're just ineffectual or they're just in the periphery in general. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're super ineffectual. I would say like through all three of the movies tonight, they're completely ineffectual. Like the cops have a presence in my film, but like they're mostly ineffectual. The only thing they do is they throw in the monkey wrench of arresting all the guys at once. They create a monkey wrench that creates a plot twist. Okay. Uh, you know, Tenabre, they're pretty ineffectual. Like they are bumblefucks. <laughs> and then it, in torso, they're non-existent. <laughs> in torso, it's a doctor. The the doctor is a cop. Essentially. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. Dr. Cop. <laughs> Dr. Cop. Dr. Cop. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. 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 They're, they're uh, completely non-existent. Uh, oh, oh, wait. No, there is one scene with the cops in Torso because they interview the guy who takes dumps on the side of the road. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they do. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about that. <laughs> that guy rules. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to him. He's a real one. Yeah. Shout out. He does it. He does what he needs to do. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't want. I, I don't want to get too crass, but uh, we like to litter out here. He's like, what do you mean litter? <laughs> I was going to take out a crap. I take it as shit. But yeah, uh, the, the film leads to one last kill, which is Tao Li. <laughs> and here's the thing. They decide to drown her in the bath and she didn't forget to bring a towel. So... <laughs> Yeah, the the setup is that the countess would go, she would drown, she would drown Tali, and then they would frame her for all the other murders by leaving behind the mask and the hat and the gloves and all that. But in this scene, it's it's interesting because they just cut to her being drowned, basically. Like there's Mm -hmm. there's no cat and mouse to this scene setup. They just cut to her being killed. But then it it starts in a new cat and mouse because somebody comes to the door of the of the apartment. And I think that's kind of cool because the, the cat and mouse starts with the countess and the countess has to escape. Um, she climbs out on the ledge, grabs a pipe and falls. <laughs> and she falls basically like, you know, Hans Gruber off the ledge. <laughs> such a terrible job. He did such a terrible job. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I like I like that they show that it's Cameron Mitchell outside and he's just banging on the door and he has the craziest fucking look on his face. Mm-hmm. Like this is the first time we see anything but like a cool reserved uh you know Cameron Mitchell. Everything else has kind of been kind of stoic and menacing and you know, just kind of well thought through. When he's slamming on this door to like you know, to to initiate the countess is running away. He's mm-hmm. just like crazed. And it's a, it's he's a great unhinged. face. 
Yeah, he yeah. is it, great. It, it's the contrast, like you said. Like, if that was just like a scene out of context, you'd be like, oh, okay, he's mad or whatever. But like mm-hmm. the contrast of him just being, yeah, Mr. Stoic the whole movie, and all of a sudden he's just bad shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he he hears the countess fall, so he goes back to his place and he's just gonna open up a a, a little tre- a little chest full of jewels and he's gonna just book it he says eh, i'm done i'm out i'm over <laughs> this was yeah. kind of my plan all along anyway <laughs> i was gonna kill her eventually mm-hmm. yeah so the business is failing i don't give a shit i'm out and you get like the quickest checkoff's gun resolve i think i can think of at this point <laughs> because he pulls a gun out of the desk and Maybe, you know, two minutes later, it's being used on him by the countess who apparently had survived her fall. Yeah. 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 Now it happens pretty quick, you know, and and interestingly enough, like. You don't I mean, this some of these movies like this movie in particular, I'm trying to think, I don't know, I'm jumping inclusions, but I think like a lot of these Jello movies, you could probably say the same about they they play out almost like a like a stage play would, but but intimate, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it has some of those same. I don't know, some of those same tenets that you would expect. Oh, for sure. If yeah. you see somebody running a bath, somebody's getting drowned in that bath. Right. You know what I mean? No, nothing happens. No intentionally like shot and focused on thing happens that isn't going to come back around even at least as a red herring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, everything is used for purpose. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you, you're never focusing on something for no reason. But also at the same time, they always make sure to focus on things like the like the notebook. Like they always make sure to focus on the notebook. So you notice it once and then you notice it again. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, they're redirect like some of them might be a misdirect, but, you know, it's going to come back that that wasn't that mm-hmm. wasn't just there just for set dressing. Right. So, yeah, but uh, it, it wraps up with, uh, you know, both both of the killers just lying dead on top of each other. And there's, you know, it's a it's a satisfying ending to the audience, I guess, because now, you know, everybody's dead. <laughs> but. It's a, uh, you know, like the police were ineffectual. They didn't do anything, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, still a wonderful film. Yeah, it's a fun one. And and it's a like, oddly enough, a little bit of a comfort horror movie for me. It has become so in maybe the last five years where like I've probably watched this movie. Maybe once a year for the last five or six years. <laughs> Weirdly enough, like I it just I, I just throw it on because even if I'm not paying like a ton of attention to it, I probably don't know the plot as well as I do from for some movies I've only seen once or twice because there is just so much going on. There's so many fucking characters. There's so many little subplots and who's doing this and clandestine meetings and all this type of thing that like <laughs> I don't even know that I know this movie as well as I know other movies I've seen less, you know, I've seen less of. But it's just it's a it's a great visually arresting. Like, I don't want to say background movie because that sounds derogatory, but I've just I found myself put it on and half watch it quite a few times. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it's one of those films like I I feel like I have a pretty decent handle on almost everybody's motivations and everything in the film. Um, I forget characters' names because like I mean some of them are like Franco and Marco, and it's like oh yeah, but it's always Franco and Marco and Angelina and right? like yeah. you know the Sarah, and it's always the same. There is like I swear there is a Sarah in every one of these movies as well. Like there's always like Sarah fairly- and a Jane. Yes, a Jane. There's a lot yeah. of Janes. You're right. Yeah. Carlo. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, even if you, because like, that's the one thing is like, because this movie's so short, they don't take the time to spell out everybody's job and everybody's like how everybody relates to everybody. Like you're very much thrust in the scenes and like they don't even use, oh, yeah. they don't even use the characters names. So you don't. <laughs> Like you're like, this is the first time I'm seeing this person, I think, and nobody's calling each other by their name. So yeah. my movie, I'll, I'll be the first to say my movie does that maybe worse than any of them where it's like mm-hmm. you have oh, a character yeah. that you've seen five times and then you finally learn their name, you know, like <laughs> the fifth right. time that you come in contact with them and they're like, <laughs> Carlo. And you're like, who the fuck is Carlo? You're like, oh, Carlo, the person you've seen five times. They're like, oh, that's Carlo. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I've just been calling him a uh, fucking milk delivery guy or whatever, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's his name. <laughs> no, I made that up. I just used that example because oh. milk. I just remember milk delivery guy because he just he. No, I just made that up. But yeah, there there is that type of thing where it's like, oh, that's uh, Doctor Doctor Dickweed. Know you know what I mean? Like he like you literally see the doctor in my movie like four times before you like. No, he's a doctor. I think. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's silly. Um. Funny. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll tell you I'll tell you what my you know names for the bread and milk guy is when we get to your movie, but <laughs> good old but, bread and milk. Yeah, guy. I'm horrible with the names. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that that's the uh, that's blood and black lace. Uh, just like Brian was saying, and like I've already said, it's it's just a beautifully shot film. Like even if you aren't completely keyed in on all the you. Know, the, the little background motivations and everything. It's still just wonderful to look at. And it's, you can tell this is an inspiration for both just kind of the giallo genre, but like just filmmaking in general, like the way everything moves forward. Like there's no way I don't think uh, like Joe Bagos, for example, wouldn't mm-hmm. say that he wasn't inspired by films like this from the sixties and seventies with the way like his films are painted in neon. The oversaturation. So. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And it's like the red is really what it's so deliberate. Like I remember mm-hmm. watching a scene in this movie where it's like, yeah, you get the red mannequins like that's a reoccurring thing. The like weird felt right. mannequins or whatever. But then like fucking everything's red, not just even close. It's like the telephone on the desk is super saturated red, right? You know, and yeah. the, and the and the backlight is like this intense, like teenage mutant ninja turtles, like glowing, <laughs> you know, purple. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. or something like that. It's just there's no way that that it wasn't a huge influence on so many filmmakers that like are having a moment right now. Like Joe Bagos, mm-hmm. obviously a great example. Yeah, yeah, and, and Panos Cosmatos as well. Like oh, he, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Even though like he tends to also put like a lot of 
softness on his films and stuff. It's just like the way things are bathed in color rather than, you know, re- relying on just like uh, a shitty color grade of like orange and teal or some shit like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Yeah, but uh, that's that's my movie. That's blood and black lace. I will say <clears throat> my my overall take on this movie is like like a lot of movies in this subgenre, not like a lot of the ones that like a lot of Italian horror genre, I won't even say just giallo. It is a little bit style over substance. Um and I don't fault it for that. You kind of know what you're getting into with that. And for for this movie in 64 to be um an example over this this kind of like this movie really being focused on like excess and style over substance. I feel like this is an early example that sets the groundwork for what the genre becomes later. Mm -hmm. And like, I think in the kind of seventies, I think is where, or even late sixties is where people start to like put together that like we can, stretch things out and tell a little bit more not that this isn't coherent but tell a little bit more coherent story and have all the stylistic elements and um i don't know one movie that we we won't talk about because i didn't pick it and i i almost regret not picking it but i i love torso don't get me wrong like i i don't regret picking this movie but i think one that is a really great example of like self-actualized giallo in that it's got the style but it also is a really great story and it's got great performances and i almost picked it and then i didn't frankly just because i didn't feel like watching it again and i felt like watching torso like that's honestly why i did it and that's (laughs) stupid but that's why i did it is bird with the crystal plumage oh yeah like that movie is just like it's such a great movie like deep red is too but we we agreed we weren't going to do it do that one but bird with the crystal plumage is like Great story, great twist, stylized, but but a lot of substance to it as well. Um, and like if there was one criticism of this movie for me, like I said, I love to see it. I've probably seen it more than any other Giallo film, meaning Blood and Black Lace. But it's just I kind of find myself. There's a little too much plot to get in the way that gets in the way of the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. I think because um, I, I wonder how much like American cinema played as a reaction to this, because if we think about the genre films of the 50s of how just flat and boring they are a lot of the time of just like we're going to do science exposition in a lab for, you know, however long. And we're just going to make like a procedural movie and like, okay, so the movies make a lot of sense script wise, but they're also boring because Mm -hmm. they've explained everything away. Now you get these films in Italy that are like way over stylized and they're like, eh, we're not going to explain anything. You want it all explained? Read the script. Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) That's where you get the character names. (laughs) Yeah. So I wonder if how much of that is like, yeah, how much these films are like kind of a reaction to like the more boring procedural films of the fifties and forties. But yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get, I get what you're saying, but also I think that's just like, again, it's a hallmark of all of these films where just there's a bunch of shit that happens in these movies and they're not necessarily explained. And yeah. you kind of got to figure it out and watch multiple times to do that. <laughs> Um, the other thing that that is honestly probably my favorite part of this movie is Cameron Mitchell. Um, mm-hmm. And because he is like a disturbing villain and yeah. he reminds me of and this probably plays to this performance's advantage is that I love Night of the Hunter mm-hmm. um, and Robert Mitchum in, in Night of the mm-hmm. Hunter. Mm-hmm. It might be might be the best horror and that's not even a horror movie purely. It's more of a, a suspense movie. But like one of the greatest movie villains, scariest movie villains of all time, in my opinion, is is Robert Mitchum's character in, in Night of the Hunter. And that was like, I, I can't help but think when they when they I don't know what year Night of the Hunter is. Top my, it was in the 50s, right? Um, it was before <clears throat> it was before this. I can't help but think that they were going for a little bit of a Robert Mitchum thing when they cast Cameron Mitchell Mm -hmm. because he is that like stoic. But like when you just see like all of a sudden the the you know, something's a little bit weird about him and all of a sudden the veil lifts just a little bit. and You're like, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy's like a monster. And and (laughs) the scene you mentioned where he's banging on the door and like it's the first time he shows any expression and it's like unhinged, you know. I, I love that scene and I love, you know, him going from Mr. Stoic, nothing can bother me to like, you know, fucking Jack Torrance on everyone. You know, yeah. it just reminds me of uh, it just reminded me of Night of the Hunter. And that's probably why I love it so much. So I'm probably like <laughs> giving it quite a bit of uh, maybe even more than it deserves because I'm equating it with that. But uh, right. But before we move on, I had one note. I forgot to bring it up, mm-hmm. but I i swear to God, if you do, whoever watches this film, go to the scene where Nicole is just about to get killed with the claw in the antiquities house. Mm-hmm. And there is a piece of music that sounds exactly like a Ghostbusters cue. I don't know why, but you can just compare it. And I, I'll maybe try to put this up on social media. But yeah there's a cue that sounds exactly like a Ghostbusters cue and the, the composer for blood and black lace did not work on Ghostbusters. Just so no, yeah, <laughs> not 20 oh, really? some years did. later. Uh, Is it yeah. now I'm imagining, which I'm sure this isn't the cue you're talking about, but it's just like, as she's getting killed, it's like, yes, it is the first Three bars of the Ray Parker Jr. song and Ray Parker Jr. plagiarized. Did Ray Parker Jr. write the score for Blood and Black Lace 1964? Have you ever heard this? Ghostbusters is a giallo. Have you ever heard the story of Ray Parker Jr. delivering the um the uh you know the theme song the you know who you gonna call Ghostbusters and like he got paid up front for it and then like. He waited until the 11th hour because he was partying to actually write it. And literally like the the producers and, the, oh, yeah, and everybody on the that. movie were like banging on his hotel room door like we need it now. And he was like in he locked himself in the closet <laughs> and wrote it and recorded it like in the closet of a hotel room. It's a really funny story. Hearing that. Yeah. Um, 80s were wild. Oh, 80s were wild, that. son. 
Yeah. I mean, that's also how Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon wrote the script to uh, 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 No Holds Barred. So, you know, hey. Just lock yourself in a hotel room. That's where all the best shit happens. You lock yourself in a hotel room. Um, anyway. Sure, we'll go um, with that. <laughs> yeah, that's how the Bible was written, you guys. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, it was Paul. It was all those guys because they all lived around the same time, you know. Um mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, okay, that was Blood and Black Lace from 1964. Continued in part two.